Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in every single week as we release the best practices that we can for you from our experts and from our professionals. And today is a professional day that we get to share some great insights from one of our doctors who is actually has their hands dirty in the work every single day. If you're a doctor or a clinician uh, out there listening to this podcast and you're getting value out of it, don't forget to share it with your friends and colleagues, as well as make sure you subscribe so you can make sure you're getting notified when we release our brand new episodes. And today we're going to talk about how to have clinical excellence be your competitive edge in a world that is very competitive nowadays, whether it be you're fighting against the guy down the corner or from the, the do-it-yourself-at-home kits that are being thrown out there or any other type of competition, this is going to be the place we're going to learn about that. And how you're going to learn about that is through our special guest today, Dr. Scott Fry. Scott, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're excited about listening to your experience and what you're able to help others out there that might be struggling a little bit or maybe just want to get another perspective on their practice ownership. Before we do, as we always do on our show, we'd love to start with the story of how did you get involved in this crazy world of what you do. And as you might know or might not know, there are um, people listening to this show from all walks of practice life. They could be chiropractors, they could be dentists, orthodontists, plastic surgeons, uh, but we'd love to hear your story. So tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this world. Thank you. Well, you know, I kind of grew up in an orthodontic family and oh. uh, my father's an orthodontist. My brother also happens to be an orthodontist as well. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of one foot in front of the other going through, you know, high school and college and with a very strong interest in the healthcare field. And, you know, just the dental profession, you know, seems when I talk to different, uh, you know, doctors and dentists out there, you know, it's everyone seemed to be extremely happy. Certainly my father was extremely happy, you know, working in this field. And it's, I knew I wanted to work in healthcare and this is just a really rewarding, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, profession to be in. So Basically, um, you know, the usual stuff, dental school, orthodontic residency, graduate. And, um, you know, I worked with family for a while, but I wanted to go out and kind of do my own thing. So I purchased uh, into a practice down here in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, which has been really, really great. You know, by the water, you know, fabulous uh, practice, fabulous partner that, uh, you know, uh, we uh, that I work with, um, you know, and we work, you know, probably um, a few times a month now uh, together in the same office, you know, it's great to kind of, you know, have somebody to come into the office and kind of pal around with a little bit. Um, so it's not just uh, you and the teeth, you know, and the team every day. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just been really great overall. Um, that's, that's awesome. Are you having that uh, legacy of service through orthodontics, I think is really powerful. I often hear the different stories, right? It's either you grew up in a family that was focused on it, maybe you grew up around it, whether it be dentistry or something like that in the healthcare, or you had some event happen to you where it was powerful, maybe you got an accident, your teeth got knocked out, the orthodontist helped you or whatever, right? Or it just like, oh, I fell into it. And I love hearing these legacy stories around that. Can you remember a time when you were younger? Because obviously, even though it was in your family, you yeah. had to see the benefit of it, right? 
Do you remember a time where you saw something happening with your dad or he, you heard a story where you went, oh, that's why I want to do that? You know, well, I worked in the practice when I was young, so I kind of got to mm. see a lot of that firsthand. Nice. Um, you know, it was like locked in the basement, basically tracing Seth's and all that kind of stuff. And, <laughs> um, you know, I got to come into the office during the summer and, you know, help out. You know, I was very, you know, big into soccer. So there wasn't, as I got older, that kind of, you know, dissipated a bit. But, you know, it just, it was great. You know, everybody was happy. Everybody was smiling. And you could make these really impactful changes in people's lives uh, through the power of a smile. So, you know, it's certainly something that I experienced firsthand kind of growing up. And then as I'm making that kind of choice between, you know, different aspects of healthcare, um, you know, that's, I didn't really see myself doing anything else, to be honest. So, But you've also been able to see the evolution of the practice. You mentioned, you know, being stuck in the basement and doing, you know, yeah. old school forms of ortho. So you've seen that evolution and yeah. the power of what can happen through that evolution if we choose to. Yeah. And it's, um, it's certainly changed a whole lot. And, um, you know, some of, you know, I didn't really kind of cover it in my intro, but, um, you know, as I was getting out of, out of residency, I had done, you know, some, uh, some speaking for, um, you know, therapeutic injectables while I was in a residency, uh, in Colorado. And, um, you know, I was pushed by, you know, some people, prominent names in the field, like David Sarver, David Paquette, uh, to, to get out there and, you know, kind of share some of, you know, these cutting edge techniques and things that, uh, that I saw as kind of, uh, coming down the road. And that kind of just snowballed into some things that we do with Henry Schein, some things that I do with Invisalign, um, form labs and sprint Ray as a clinical advisor there and 3d printing. And, you know, that's kind of the big driver right now. If you look at, um, you know, the 3d printing technology, that's really fueled a whole lot of change. Uh, in the yes. industry, Invisalign is the biggest customer and has been for a long time. Sure. Um, you know, so that's been disrupting, you know, the orthodontic specialty for a while. Um, but now we have, you know, the, uh, the I guess the uh, aligners in a box model and all that kind of stuff that's out there. That's, uh, it's always keeping things interesting. And, you know, it's, it's fun to, to wake up every day and not have it be the exact, it's like Groundhog Day or something like that, you know, something yeah. different every day, so. Well, I think that's a really great perspective, right? That every day, every patient is a new opportunity, new challenge. Everybody's different, right? And and as a leader, how do you uh, present that or actually, uh, I guess, uh, e exemplify that to your team members? Because, you know, you've seen the team members who are just coming and you know, feel like it's the uh, same thing, same day. How do you share that enthusiasm or that uh, outlook with your team? Well, you know, when we do, um, you know, quarterly meetings and, um, you know, get a chance to sit down and kind of go over some different things that we're doing uh, in the practice, you know, we always have, you know, one or two team members come up and present mm -hmm. uh, on a case that they either removed uh, the, you know, the aligners, you know, we call it a removal. You're not really removing anything because it's already removable, but uh, an Invisalign case we finished up, a braces case we finished up and, they get to take ownership of it. You know, they've probably seen them for at least a good number of the appointments, at least the big one at the end. But, sure. um, you know, they get to share that and we get to see that evolution of that patient and that huge change uh, that uh, we've been able to produce. So that's really kind of a cool way that we can tap into that. Um, you know, simply reviewing the records at the chair with the patient and looking back at where they've come from, 
how much pain yeah that whole sphere right yeah yeah it's it's constant reinforcement um and it's just it's really really incredibly powerful with the team to be able to see that that's great i love it i i have a mentor who says you know people support what they help create yep and so to have them show the evidence of what they were able to help create it's going to help them even more uh support it that's great well i'm assuming then that that's part of the way that you create the clinical excellency in what you do, right? And making sure that you are at the top of the game and all the team around you is at the top of their game. Yeah, and that's, you know, with, um, I guess, the title that we've kind of selected for the talk today, that's, I think that kind of gets overlooked. You know, a lot of these young doctors, they get out of school, um, they've got lots of student debt, they're so focused on these numbers all the Mm -hmm. time. They Mm -hmm. think that the key to kind of opening uh, the door to a, an incredibly successful practice is some sort of business trick or sleight of hand or scripting or something like that instead of, you know, really just doing right by the patient and, you know, executing on a clinical level, um, you know, at a, at a very high clinical level. So, you know, I think, you know, for, for us and kind of where we found uh, success is the fact that, you know, when you have a very high level of clinical aptitude and you've got the ability to to execute efficiently uh, more efficiently than perhaps your competition um, with a wider variety of different uh, tools and you know tricks that we have up our sleeve clinically uh, that gives you a lot of latitude to really shape that patient experience around what they're looking to get out of orthodontic treatment so you know if you've only got one way to treat a patient and the patient wants to receive care in a different manner or experience that care in a different way, you're really not going to be able to get them to say yes to treatment to begin with, and then the business doesn't grow. So, um, you know, I think that for the young doctors that are out there who, you know, are kind of in my generation, uh, I would really encourage them to take a look at building their assets as much as possible clinically. So that way they can make the business part of their, uh, their day a lot easier to execute with. Well, I know everybody's different, but what have been some of the tools that you've used to make sure that you are growing that muscle, if you will, around yeah. the clinical excellence? Well, there's, you know, we're, we're constantly on the hunt for, you know, new things. Um, as a speaker for Invisalign, you know, we're obviously very comfortable with clear aligner therapy. Um, you know, I also speak on digital technology and 3D printing. That's huge uh, for retention, right. for all sorts of, uh, you know, limited types of care to come down market and kind of offer a variety of different outcomes for patient at competitive price points. Um, you know, offering, you know, uh, therapeutic injectables in our practice to avoid jaw surgery for, you know, our adult patients to uh, avoid muscular problems and control those muscular problems with things like Botox and dermal fillers. It allows us to shape a much better smile uh, to avoid major surgeries and kind of have a more conservative approach. And, you know, most people are unaware uh, of the orthodontist being kind of the, uh, you know, the first person to make any major decisions about how someone's face is going to be kind of shaped either as an adolescent going into adulthood or the impact that we can have with our adult patients. So that's something where we're the prime mover in that space and we need to take uh, better ownership of certain things that you know, we may have looked at just as an obstacle before because there's tools out there that allow us to do our job better and kind of finish the soft tissue, so to speak. Um, so those kind of things are where, you know, we've kind of looked. Um, 
I'm also the developer of a uh, photobiomodulation device that intraorally allows us to, um, you know, move uh, teeth, you know, a lot more comfortably and, you know, just kind of enhance orthodontic tooth movements and do some whitening and things like that. Um, so there is, um, you know, all sorts of things and areas where we can constantly look to develop an understanding of that, become an expert in that area, and then apply it either clinically or in the marketplace itself. Do you gravitate towards those tools uh, because it's the thing that, you know, you enjoy doing the most? Have you found it the most gratifying, maybe the best uh, business strategy? Why did you choose those areas to gravitate towards? You know, honestly, it's when the technology is kind of ready and mature. I'm always looking and you know, I had been looking, you know, before we implemented any sort of 3D printing and my partner happened to have like a 3D printer in his practice. So it was very easy for us to evolve that and really kind of scale up uh, those types of, uh, you know, operations within our lab. Um, uh, basically, you know, the 3D printing space used to be very, very expensive. And, you know, you look at maybe six years ago, the only thing that was, and that's not even that long, really. Yeah. Right. It's the only thing that was available uh, in the dental world that could execute, you know, some 3D printing was like the Stratasys machine, which is a forty, fifty thousand dollar that object machine. And you know, there was a lot of speculation. You know, I looked at it and we said, all right, well, we have these scanners. We've had them for probably you know ten years, twelve years or so. Um, we know we're capturing the 3D digital information. And the only way we can do anything with it is by sending it to a third party. And, you know, if I simply want to reproduce that just for a retainer, I can't even do it without involving a third party uh, or purchasing a very, very expensive piece of equipment. So when I looked at the trends in, in the market and how the price points were going to come down, you know, I said to myself, you know, there's, you know, maybe some kind of, uh, I started out with some kind of like hobbyist um, 3D printers. You get these parts, you get a projector. You get all these other, you know, a motor and all the stuff to kind of move this build platform to kind of, you know, MacGyver together this this 3D printing device that's going to cure this resin. So right. it was cheap at the time, but it wasn't very scalable in operations, but it got us familiar. Um, and then when we went ahead and saw that the price point came down to, you know, under $10,000 and under $5,000, you know, we jumped on those printers to be able to kind of expand things quite a bit. Um, you know, once it was at that $10,000 price point, the ROI and the payback period was, you know, very, very short. Right. And the ROI was huge. So, um, you know, even for things like retention, um, where you're not doing any sort of active movement, like someone like Invisalign might be doing with 3D printing, or Smile Direct Club might be doing with 3D printing, or Candid, or any of these other companies that kind of use that technology. Right. Um, you know, basically... Um, it was a very, very good tool to have in the practice at that point. It's interesting. I remember I walked into one of my doctor's offices probably about a year ago, and he has a he has a 3D printing lab. He's got like three or four different 3D printers and stuff. Um, but he pointed over to the corner of this lab, and yeah. he said, see that thing over there? And it looked like a mini refrigerator. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's my very first one five years ago. It cost me 30 grand. And now I have this one class me three, this was four, this is, and now he's doing double the work or triple the work or whatever. Yeah. So it's pretty yeah. interesting to watch. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it was very expensive to get into, you know, fortunately I caught it up. It was like, it was a lot more work, but you know, the, now all the printers out there, everything that's out there on the market is, is very affordable. 
which is great. Fascinating. It's fascinating to see, like you said, it was six years ago when this is happening, right? 10 years ago, no one was even thinking about this. And what does six years from now look like? It's going to be the interesting thing. Oh, yeah. I, I can speculate on that if you want. But yeah, uh, please. It's well, you know, I think uh, when you look at what's going to be happening in the practice, you know, and practices all over the country, you know, you look at, you know, kind of this automation that's going to be coming from, you know, um, for lack of a better term, AI, I hate that term because it's so cliche and um, makes you think of Terminator. Yeah, everybody <laughs> getting all that kind of stuff. But, you know, in the same way that we went from, you know, this zero prescription bracket in orthodontics, where the, the orthodontist had to bend these like pretzely wires to get the teeth to move through data mining, essentially, and Larry Andrews' practice, he kind of invented this straight wire appliance, uh, for those who don't know. You know, he looked at all these bends that he would make with his um, wires, and he said, all right, well, I'm going to engineer that into a bracket system to standardize things and make, you know, with these 14 different kind of prescriptions, something that's going to take less chair time, be more kind of, quote, automated, uh, and augment my clinical ability as an orthodontist to deliver great smiles. So we're on the forefront of kind of some digital automation now sure. uh, with data collection. And, you know, obviously Invisalign has been executing that in a phenomenal, phenomenal way, um, you know, because it allows us to, to do clear aligner therapy very scalably. Uh, but we're going to find that there's going to be tools. You know, we look at what dental monitoring has right now, some of these up and coming companies, you know, you have a device now that can capture, you know, either two-dimensional or three-dimensional information or two-dimensional converted over three-dimensional information um, to basically identify problems. And then once those problems are identified and they have enough of a database there uh, to create clinical preferences and recommendations. Now, those clinical recommendations right now exist in the form of some automated responses back to patients. So that way the technician's not constantly involved. Sure. But if you think about it, someone could walk in tomorrow into a practice um, and those recommendations, instead of being to the patient, go to your technician or your chair side to avoid having the doctor having to come to the chair to advise mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Uh, automating things in that fashion, making smarter decisions you know, about what wire should go in, when a bracket should be repositioned to trim down the overall treatment time and reduce the amount of friction and effort in that process. So I think that's kind of where things are coming. And, you know, there's other things with like, you know, you know, training and kind of consistency there and making the appliances and the process a little bit smarter. And, you know, that gives you better access to a labor pool and all sorts of things like that. But I think that's kind of the next wave of what's coming out there. So that's awesome. That's great. It's exciting. I think it's a very exciting time to be in this industry. And I get to just watch it from the periphery, right? But I get to be like, wow, that's cool. That's neat there. And, you know, I, I'm already at the point where I talk to stuff, talk to my wife or my friends about it, family members, and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But it's really exciting to watch and see yeah. and, and see what's going on there. So let's talk a little bit about how you feel that that excellence that you have striven for in your own life and then also in your practice, how that's giving you that competitive edge. And, you know, I, I talk about competition quite a bit in the sense of really believe the most, the, the most competition is actually the, the competition that's between your ears, right? The gray matter that's between your ears, but obviously knowing that you are excellent at what you do, I call it being the best in the world at what you do, knowing that and walking in those footsteps every day, knowing that you have that confidence, 
how has that helped you create more of a competitive edge, even if it's in your own mind or with your team or actually with your patients? Well, you know, honestly, you know, I think there's a complacency that kind of comes with, you know, being, being out in front in some of the things too. Uh, and when you talk about the, the competition in your own head, you know, it takes a lot of work to change things. You know, it's, it's a constant kind of iterative process that we have with our team. Yep. You know, they get burned out on it. You know, sometimes I, I feel like I burn my partner out on it a little bit <laughs> trying to adjust things. But, you know, I think there needs to be a healthy fear uh, behind, you know, what you're doing or some sort, some sort of process that's driving you because, you know, you could very easily just keep things exactly the same. And, you know, that's comfortable and it's fine. Um, but it may not be sustainable long-term. Um, so I think that, you know, being constantly suspicious of, of that, you know, complacency in yourself and, and looking for, for opportunities and then kind of working back to determine the best way to, to kind of connect the dots to where you think things are going to be um, and do so in an affordable fashion. Because it's very easy to throw out $40,000, $50,000 on the front end and hit that 3D printing market, for instance, yeah, too soon. And then you're sitting there and waiting. Um, but, you know, kind of timing the market a little bit better to kind of get things down to that price point and then entering, but if any, have built some kind of core and fundamental skills ahead of time, um, you know, I think is, is important. And, you know, sometimes we do this very effectively. Sometimes it's, um, you know, a little bit more stressful than it needs to be. Um, but I think nimble practices, practices that have a culture where, um, you know, businesses that have a culture where their employees are capable of absorbing change, dealing with change, uh, are going to thrive when times get tough. Uh, yes. So, you know, that, that kind of thing, you know, we constantly, we're in a military area here, so we have a lot of new people coming in and out. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if every new employee if everything's kind of the same and kind of, you know, easy and comfortable, we may lose that culture going forward. And we constantly have to push ourselves just a little bit um, to kind of uh, keep that as part of the process. And I think that, you know, that you lose that competitive edge very quickly if you're not constantly, you know, competing with yourself. And, you know, we look at, you know, we talk about competition. You're absolutely right. You know, it's not like looking over in the next lane to try and figure out, you know, what they're doing, like you yeah. know, you're competing with yourself to make yourself better yep. constantly. And, you know, that that's really where people need to be focused. And it's it's fascinating, right? Because you're all, you only grow and you only learn when you're irritated or when you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I, have this, I have this visual in the head. I'm, I'm actually going to probably have a graphic designer make this sometime for one of my slides about the, the falsehood of comfortableness and, you know, couches were not made to make people get in shape. Yeah. Right? Like the Correct. point of a couch is to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah. You know, but if you had a couch that had like a little pokey things on it or every once in a while just poked at you, it'd be uncomfortable. You'd probably get off the couch more often and not yeah. binge watch all those shows, right? But it's, it's the same thing with your team members being uncomfortable, letting them know that, Hey, you get it. Not everybody's comfortable shaking hands with every single person that walks in or actually asking more questions than just how are you doing? It is uncomfortable, but that's what creates that excellence. And you've shown that obviously in the clinical side of what you do, of always have a desire to learn and to grow and know that there's always another level you can get to. 
Yeah. It's very, very important. Well, let me ask you this. We love to focus on in the show, um, the fact that, look, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, you're out there striving to do really great work, change people's lives, literally change people's lives through what you do and uh, give them a new outlook on their smile, on the way that they can connect with people. But every business has challenges. Every single business, my business, every person listening to this has a challenge in their business. What's a challenge that you're facing in your business right now that uh, you've come up against? You know, I think, you know, there's always like a few things kind of bouncing around. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the work, you know, expands so much during the day that building back, back building the systems and kind of uh, making sure that um, the training of the employees is, is not so tribal and it's systematic mm. and, um, you know, scalable is, you know, is um, that's where I think, you know, we kind of struggle a little bit um, with, with things. And I, I, that's not a new problem. Um, yeah. We've always got, you know, ways that we think we're handling it really well. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of like almost like whisper down the alley, like, you know, unless everybody's in one big room and we're, we're, you know, not always together, um, you know, so they'll hear one thing um, and then that gets passed along through the team instead of everyone talking about it as a big Telephone group. game. Yeah. And it's, it's not that anyone said anything incorrect or anything like that, but you know, the how and um, you know, the, the details sometimes of how you want something to be executed are not immediately obvious of what level you need to provide. So like, let's say we come up with, you know, some sort of like triage sheet for how we want something handled on the phones, right? And, you know, there may be something that we just didn't even know we need to provide guidance on that's left out. Mm -hmm. And people insert, you know, their, um, you know, what they heard about the process into that. And, you know, whether they heard it directly or indirectly, um, you know, becomes, um, you know, I guess a source of variance that, uh, you know, sometimes it's good. Yeah. Um, that's great. And people outperform kind of what we're currently doing. Um, and other times it's not so great, but we want to kind of limit that a little bit. Um, and it's changing as much as we do. You know, that's part of, um, you know, we, we just got to be able to find the time to, to spend on that. And it's so, so hard sometimes. Uh, to get that that time because there's so many patients that want to come in uh, and see us and if we have to kind of shut down to do that um, it's it's a very difficult decision to make and sometimes we're you know we swing back and forth on um, you know how often we want to do that well it's interesting first of all I love the word that you said about uh, tribal learning right where you get together and it's like okay just gotta everybody get together and tribal learning as opposed to systematic way of doing it. I was interviewing someone else earlier uh, on this topic of finding time, right? And uh, she has found through, actually it was yesterday, she has found that like they literally take, they dedicate one day a week, two hours in the morning. It's every Wednesday, I think it is. Uh, that's training day. That's it. Like, and, and they don't start their day till 10 o'clock or whatever. And it has made all the difference because you're sharpening that saw, right? You're, you're not just going at it every single day and with a dull blade, you're sharpening that saw. So dedicating that time obviously is very important. My, uh, I was gonna ask you, do you guys use uh, recordings as a way of training? We do, um, you know, we've got varying levels of uh, aptitude with, with computers and uh, technology. 
Um, so we, we do use some screen recordings and screen capture yeah. sometimes. Um, you know, there's other things that I would love to, I would love to just capture just like with a camera or something, just on, on some great employees, uh, doing what they do to kind yep. of capture that all the time. Yep. Um, you know, we're going to probably have to make some equipment purchases and things like that. A lot of it's still written and kind of pictures and things. Uh, but I think video would be a really great addition for us. Um, and the question is the problem becomes, you know, that time, that two hour training time, right? Mm -hmm. Someone's got to create the, the content to yep. train. Yep. And then where do we get that person's time and where do we get, you know, time uh, freed up for that individual or that team to do what they need to do without having them do it outside of work. Cause you know, certainly I'll work, you know, after right. hours cause you know, right. it, you know, our business, you know, the doctors will put in that extra time. Sure. Uh, but, but I don't know, want you doing it. Right. Cause you exactly. don't need another job. Exactly. Right. No. You know, I'd be out of the clinic doing just that. No. Uh, if that was the case. So we've got to free up time for, for employees as well. And making it, I think video is just a really, it captures what we need in less time. Yep. Um, instead of writing something up because you can do it live, you can chop it up and kind of edit it. Um, it's really so. easy to renew it and get a new perspective on it. Yeah. I would highly recommend a couple of things. I love this aspect. I mean, we're in a, such a great digital age, right? And you talk about that clinical excellence of, you know, if there's a clinical thing that you want somebody to see how you want to do it differently, maybe it's the way they're placing brackets or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, throwing that GoPro camera on your head yep. and having them hear you and see you do it, right? perfect right then they can we rock that over and over again but i always love the idea of onboarding people right when you onboard people to your clinic or want them to do it a certain way and record the best person in your office doing it like you said bring out your cell phone cell phones have great cameras bring out your cell phone just have it up there and when she comes back or let's just say becky comes back and says how did you say to do that thing again go watch the video watch the video it's right there it's on it's online it's that you don't have to repeat it again or whatever and then the other thing is is i am a big fan of not just recording so you can use it for those trainings but for me to hear myself whether it be a phone call 10 different phone calls that i had that i had to hear myself so i go oh i totally missed her question there or oh i what was i saying that wasn't even correct right i hear myself doing that um, security cameras, great way to, with your team members, right? To like, you see how you approach that person here? You didn't say that there. So I'm a huge fan of that. So if you can implement that and use your admin days, you know, use an extra day, one day a month where you can say, Hey, okay, I'm going to give you some extra hours to come and create that. But I do not want you creating that. Right. Yeah. You don't need another job. We've gotten some, but it's like not the, we we're going to have to switch over a lot of those, those written manuals into, uh, to videos. And, um, you know, it's definitely something we're working on. I'm so. telling you, I've even had, I've had a conversation with a guy who's a professional videographer is like, dude, you should create a package where yeah. you go to offices and like a, a reality show, right. Yeah. Where you're just following them around <laughs> and, you do, and then that way you can chop it all up for him and say, well, here's how you did this. Here you had this. That'd be pretty interesting. I don't know, maybe I'll have to make that someday. Well, thank you for sharing that challenge with everybody because everybody has challenges and I want everybody to know you're not alone. Well, we've come to a place in our show, Scott, where we go through our six questions, which are our rapid fire questions, okay. where we get to hear just what's at the top of your mind on our, on our uh, six questions we ask. You willing to play? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome, very cool. <laughs> out of all the things that you learned in school, uh, what do you feel? 
is the one thing you wish they would have taught you back in school? Amortization tables, things like that. You know, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> all of this stuff, like the amount of, it's, we're constructing a, a new office right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the architects, the constru- uh, contractors, everybody's done a great job. And, you know, just these little, these weird details that are, you know, you just kind of take for granted, um, you know, it would be nice to, you know, the business education is the one thing that, you know, they just don't cover in school. And it's, it's trial and error. And I, I really, I don't know there's a better way to do it, to be honest, but it's, you know, you kind of, it's on the job learning with everything. It really is. You're absolutely right. Is there a book that you feel every private practice owner should be reading or should have read? I would say Lean Startup. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And is that a, what's the main thing that you got took away from that book? Uh, well, that, that book, um, I think it talks a lot about uncertain markets. And, you know, when you have an existing model for something, right? It's very easy. Like if I want to open a coffee shop, right? I know there's floor plans probably available, um, where you purchase beans, what equipment to have, the relative cost, or an ice cream shop, really any of these things. Like they're the same thing. You can do it, right? Um, but, you know, with an orthodontic practice or something, you know, a lot of businesses in general, like when that model is changing a lot, uh, it becomes uncertain. And you don't really applying the same old model to what's going forward, I don't think is a, is a really good way to work things. Um, and the, the theme of that book is how with an uncertain market, how do you approach it? Because you don't have an existing model for what you're doing. Right. Um, so I think that that's a very good, um, you know, book. That's great. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes, a link on uh, that to the show notes. That's great. Um, before we go on to the next question, how can listeners reach out to you? Um, shoot. Um, I, was, I'm a, I might give out my email on the air. Um, honestly, they're going to blow it up. Um, the best, the best way, let's do this. Yeah. Reach out to me on Facebook so I can say who you yeah. are seeing you beforehand. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, just friend me on Facebook. That's probably I. I am. I hate Facebook with a passion, but it's the way. <laughs> it's the way everybody kind of gets in touch and yeah. communicates. Um, you know, I know that if I talk too close to my phone, I'm going to start getting ads for things and all that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's probably the best way. You know, look me up on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's it's that's so true. I what you just said there's yeah. so true. My wife and I talk about this all the time. We're like. We literally were just talking about this and now we've got all these ads popping up. Yeah. Everybody has that experience. Yeah, it's when you listed out all the different kind of, you know, people that's going to be tuning in to this, uh, uh-huh. this, you know, this podcast here, you know, I was just going to give out my personal email, but I think Facebook is Facebook's probably great. It's a better way. Yeah. yeah, I have a lot of people who do Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever they're on there. Like then you can, you can uh, filter it a little bit more. That yeah. sounds, that's great. Well, in my book, The Practice Rx, I focus a lot on team culture and team performance as the foundation to business growth. What do you see as the biggest challenge that private practice owners are facing with their teams and their office culture in today's environment? You know, I would say you know, and doing, you know, speaking to, you know, doctors and kind of getting outside my own bubble is very, very helpful. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times the, 
you know, with, that I see in offices as kind of being a hindrance um, is, is honestly just unwillingness to, to make a change. It's, you know, there's, it's for whatever reason, you know, there's this very dogmatic kind of approach of this is how the way things are done. And, yes. you know, when you bring in team members, you know, a fresh set of eyes can produce some change. And I think, you know, in the orthodontic, you know, uh, specialty, when we have um, partnerships and associateships and doctors buying one practice and another, you know, when you change things, you know, they're kind of used to that culture where things don't change a whole lot. And when you right. kind of flip it to the other side, you know, people are gonna, you know, wanna get off the bus and that's yeah, fine. It's great. Um, but um, I think that doctors, especially in, um, you know, as, who have associates or who have partners and you're not just the only person in the office, um, you've got to, that associateship and that partnership is not gonna be effective if the other party is not allowed to change. Mm-hmm. You know, and I talked to people who they were like, well, you know, I worked in this practice for a long time and the, the doctor, they brought me on and they had all these expectations, but they never changed anything. It was the, the same way. Mm-hmm. And you can't get growth without making some changes. You can't yep. well, you know, expect different results without making a change for lack of a better word. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you know, that's prevented from a top-down level um, you know, and I think one of the reasons why, you know, uh, my partnership, you know, is working out well, and I wanted to have, you know, somebody, I'm not from the Virginia area, um, you know, somebody where I would be working alongside with them, you know, 50, 50 owners for quite some time. I think it works great, but, you know, I could have bought something that was, you know, outright, but I just saw some, it was a great opportunity that kind of like fell in my lap and we talked for a long time and, you know, allowing each other some space to kind of make changes yep. has been very, very important. And, you know, certainly, you know, there's always friction in that process. Like, you know, we'll, we'll say, you know, um, you know, Hey, you know, this is kind of maybe moving too fast or too slow and, and have that talk every now and then, but we still, you know, circle back to saying, all right, well, we've got to allow, ourselves some space to change things. So that way we can continue to grow uh, and continue to kind of cultivate that team culture that's going to allow us to be nimble and successful. Um, I think that's so important, right? Because uh, Brene Brown talks about in Dare to Lead, that ability to rumble with one another, right? That's so key. Well, this is funny. So we are like, they did, um, uh, Benson and Clark did our like valuation and they they do like a Kobe analysis or something Mm -hmm. like that. And, uh, it was nice because like, it was, you know, I filled in gaps where he was like low and he filled in where I was low and it was like, Got that yin and yang going on. Yeah. It's perfect because, you know, if we have the exact same personality type, unless we are in complete agreement, mm-hmm. you know, we're just gonna, it, it's going to create more friction than it needs to. So. And I bet you're growing faster because of it and that you guys complement each other. It's a, it's a great marriage, if you will. Right. Oh, so. yeah. Well, it's definitely, you know, he's my wife, wife, or vice yeah. versa, whatever, <laughs> or whatever the, the gender normative thing is now. So, um, but yeah, it's, you know, my, my life partner, let's call it that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of advice, what's the best advice that you've ever received in your life or business? Uh, I would say Art Dugoni, you know, he was the former dean at uh, University of Pacific. You know, he, it wasn't directly to me, it was directed at the incoming class. And um, 
you know, it was basically always build your assets. So it's not a static process. You just constantly accumulating new knowledge, new tools, new skills. Um, you know, that, that part of how we need to approach life um, mm -hmm. and also our practices, that's really no truer words have been said, um, you know, out there. And it's just been really phenomenal advice. And, you know, I've tried to follow it as best as I could. Um, and, you know, when I am, you know, it's definitely, you know, rewarding. Well, it's so true, right? It's uh, you are the most important asset in your practice. So always be growing those assets and uh, for you and for your practice. So last question, what is the best resource or tool that every private practice owner should be using to grow their practice? Ah, oh, man, resource or tool. You know, it's, I would tell you right now, just honestly, just measuring things in your practice, like and taking a look, you know, yeah. that's simple. Like, you know, you don't really know how you're doing unless you really, you know, work on the business and, and take a look under the hood. Yep. Um, you know, there's a lot of different stuff that we can measure. You know, everybody just wants to look at different things, but, you know, just pay attention. You know, you'll notice some things, you know, people on the team may notice some things. So, you know, it yep. works out performance uh, improves where performance is measured. Absolutely. hundred percent. Wow. Dr. Scott Fry, thank you so much for this uh, amazing conversation and, and all the knowledge that you've been able to dump on us today. I mean, I really think that when we look back at what we were able to talk about, everything from getting out of your comfort zone and focusing on that clinical excellence, helping your team rise to the excellence level, being willing to see the evolution of the practice for what it is, not just what you've come from, especially somebody like you who've been in this industry for a long time. You're one of those legacy players, if you will, because of your family. And then also being able to look forward to what's going to be happening and embracing that. I really, really appreciate it. I know people got tons of nuggets out of this. I appreciate it a lot. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. And, you know, it's always fun to chat. And, you know, last time I saw you was at the, the PCSO there when uh, you, know, oh. you were speaking. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. I'll be there again this year. I'll be emceeing uh, that whole time, whole thing again this year. Well, I look forward to seeing you there and look forward to seeing you in other places as well. And for those of you that are listening, you know, please reach out uh, through Facebook. And if you have any questions for Dr. Fry and uh, thank you again for being a listener to the ProPreneur podcast, where our goal always is to help you be more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. And uh, remember, if you enjoy what you heard today or in any of our podcasts, make sure you share it with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much again for listening to the ProPreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.